The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome to the Thursday episode of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the luscious Laura. Say hi, Laura. Hi. All right, so you're giving me, actually, I'm kind of proud of y'all. This is, I can pronounce this one, Eugene Butler. Yes. That's pretty fucking... An English name. Yeah. That I look at it. I don't have to try to interpret it. I don't have to sit there and go, um, there's a kava beva for Batum? <laughs> Nothing like that. No. Eugene Butler. Pretty fucking straightforward. And it's, it's kind of a short one just because it's the time period. It's old. Oh, so okay. there wasn't a ton of information, but it's it's still a good one. It's there's some funny bit, <laughs> funny so parts. So neat. Eugene Butler was born in 1849, one of three sons born to Ephraim and Rebecca Butler. He was a, again normal fucking name. <laughs> uh, I well I don't well yeah Ephraim is a normal name then, but <laughs> he was of English descent with his family having roots in Braintree, Essex, England. He came from a prosperous family, and around 1892, he moved to North Dakota from Buffalo, New York, buying a 480-acre farm in Niagara, North Dakota. Holy shit. Yeah. That's some acreage, man. He had, he had money, so he maintained it on his own. Dude, I'm kind of proud of it, man, because seriously, even trying to maintain, even if you don't have animals or anything like that, trying to maintain... Even 10 acres. Is a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of work. A lot. <laughs> he never married and lived as a recluse, avoiding contacts with contact with neighbors and only going out for business purposes in nearby Laramore, North Dakota, where he would hire farmhands in the summer, I think, when it was like really... He, if he was harvesting, he definitely needed some help. Oh, definitely. But smart man. He never got married. I wouldn't want to be married to this guy. I got married too many times, so this guy is already smarter than I am. Like, way. Ever since moving to the state, Butler began showing signs of mental illness, including suffering from hallucinations and thinking that invisible people were chasing him. Hey, look, just because you can't see them... Doesn't mean they're not there. Exactly. His mind deteriorated even further around 1906 when he began riding out in the night, in the middle of the night, on his horse, screaming at the top of his lungs and scaring the county's residents. He's the original Midnight midnight Rider. (laughs) Not gonna let him catch me, no. No. Not gonna let him catch the Midnight Rider. That's, That's Eugene. I'm liking Eugene. Due to being considered a public nuisance, he was admitted to the North Dakota State Hospital under the supervision of Dr. W.M. Hotchkiss. It's like something out of a fucking book. On February 4th of 1904, the Jamestown Weekly Alert republished a story that ran a few days earlier in the Grand Forks Herald. Quote, From brooding over the hallucination that all the widows and old maids in the county wanted to marry him. They probably did. That was, yeah. <laughs> With that much hot. land, you've got to have money. I was going to say, man, 
tracts of land. Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. Back in that time, there, you know, the the wealthiest people had the most land. He's got a ton of land. I bet you that. And he, he's not married, and they're marrying for security. Right. They're probably he. Eugene's pretty fucking hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying, man. I'd, I'd blow him. Not me personally, but him. <laughs> he's dead by now. I'm hoping. Uh, yeah. Farmer Eugene Butler became insane and was committed to the insane hospital at Jamestown. Butler is about 54 years of age and has lived by himself for years on a farm at Niagara. He is probably the wealthiest man who has ever been committed to an asylum from this county, his property being valued around $50,000, and that was in 1904. I have to keep those values in mind because I'm saying that 50000 That was a lot of yeah, money. That was a lot. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, my truck's more than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only fifty grand for that much? God damn, that's bargain basement price. <laughs> In addition to the hallucination that all women have designs on him, owing probably to its being a leap year. <laughs> you know why he thought that the invisible people that were chasing him were telling him it? Yeah. Just... In his defense. In his defense. Totally. Can't fault the the poor man. Uh, Butler claims that men are in the habit of coming to his home during the night, forcing him to get up and dress and take long walks and horseback rides. Damn you men. Leave this poor guy alone. (laughs) Brother's just trying to sleep. During the following years at the asylum, Butler only gave some trouble at isolated periods to the staff, most of the time just expressing his fears towards invisible figures that were chasing after him, and having his picture taken, believing that the camera would suck out his soul. No, that's what wives do, Eugene. It's that's a what v- wives do. <laughs> but you're close. Very you're close. aboriginal way of thinking. Aside from this, he showed no homicidal tendencies at all. And according to Dr. A.W. Guest... Butler was a man of small stature, very gallant, and fond of attending the hospital dances, even falling desperately in love with one of the female physicians. Aww. Yeah. That's sweet. On October 22nd, 1913, Butler died while imprisoned in the asylum. His remains were shipped to Middleport, New York, where he would be buried by relatives. Uh, I was thinking maybe he's dealing with schizophrenia? Yeah, that's definitely. It doesn't. It doesn't say that it started in puberty, but maybe there was nothing, no records of that. Maybe it was, and that's why he lived by himself and why he moved by himself. But right, it's fucking North Dakota. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that's probably it right there. That's definitely schizophrenia, though, because he's getting he, he, it's auditory and uh, and visual. And it's it's external, right? It's not just in his head. So that's that's definitely he was schizophrenic. But then John and I were talking about it being similar to like the what happened during the Salem witch trials, where they were eating, they were having hallucinations from eating the rye mold, which is oh yeah, the like the a precursor to LSD. <laughs> right, right, and uh, so, the same thing has happened with corn that molds. As yes. Well. Well, it's a certain type of fungus that grows there. I read about it, and there's like, yeah, there's like nine different right. types that grow on different things. Yeah. So I was like, maybe, maybe, who knows? Um, after Butler's death, the estate was divided between his living relatives with the help of attorney W.E. Hot. 
1915, workmen were sent to excavate the property with the purpose of renovating it because someone bought the property. One of these workmen named Leo Verbulin. <laughs> that is an awesome name. Was digging <laughs> a cellar under the house when he discovered the skeletons. All supposed to be skeletons in the closet. Right. All of them had their skulls crushed, most likely by a sharp instrument, and at least two of them had had their legs broken. Jesus Christ. Go big or go home, right? Well, and they were thinking that he had, because they were tall, he had to break their legs to shove them huh. through. Yeah, there was a, yeah. Um, Initially, there was a theory that five of the remains belonged to a family consisting of two women, probably housekeepers, and their children. But nobody in the neighborhood ever recalled a family that had ever gone missing in the county. Um, the well, pos- we did one when I did Family of Killers. Yeah. And it was about the Bloody Benders. Okay. And, uh, it was a three-parter. It was three different stories in, in one episode. But um, the Bloody Benders would take in uh, Travelers. As they would travel, and I think they were in Missouri, I want to say, but I could be wrong. It could be Arkansas. can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. But uh, they would kill them is the bottom line of it. Then they just disappeared. So maybe it was the same thing. Like there could have been travelers or a traveler going, hey, you know, I'll put you up for the night. I know you're traveling to wherever. And then, boom, dead. Yeah. Um. The possibility of the family being Butler's relatives was also ruled out as he must have murdered these people immediately upon entering his premises. Later, police revealed that all the skeletons belonged to young men, one of them being a boy between 15 and 18, and another who had a a crooked nose, which seems to be a theme for me this week. (laughs) (laughs) You like crooked things. I figured that one out when we were looking at uh, certain things for the other podcast. Just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm good at finding patterns, and I think I found Laura's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like to bent. get bent. Uh, I that's a <laughs> <laughs> God, I just don't yeah. <laughs> My brain's going there. <laughs> Authorities nice. could not identify the individuals and suggested that they were vagrants employed as farmhands by Butler, which would explain why nobody had noted their disappearances. Which makes sense, since that's... The only time he ever left. Right, right, right. And that would also, like, the the men on my property telling me to get up in the middle of the night, like, I'm sure they weren't doing that. He was hallucinating that part. Oh, yeah. But there were actually men on the property because he had hired them. But then he, you know, he had a freak out. <laughs> um... It is suspected that he had probably murdered the men because he thought they were going to steal money from his house because he kept a lot of it on hand. It was also noted that there were no traces of clothes of any kind, suggesting that the bodies had been buried nude and that Butler had burned the clothes. In order to dispose of the bodies, Butler had built a trap door, removing three bottom stones from the house foundation. He then had used black dirt, and red clay subsoil in order to cover up the burial place of the bodies. And that's why he would have broken the legs of the two of them, because if they were particularly tall, trying to shove them through where it was only three, what was that, three stones, three bricks? I mean, it's, re- it's not that big of a, 
a hole to be shoving them through. Right, and and he was not a large man. Well, he thought he thought this through because the uh, using clay and things like that would definitely tamper the smell. Yes. Um. Following the grisly discovery, many onlookers visited the farm in order to observe the crime scene. The deputies deposited the victim's aging bones in a box, which was then transported to the office of Sheriff Art Turner. Uh, Later, it was discovered that some of the bones were stolen, most likely by souvenir hunters. I know when I'm out there bargain shopping, that's what I'm looking for is bones. (laughs) They were out there like, oh my God, did you see this? Yeah, you know where I got this. To this day, Butler's victims still remain unidentified. According to forensic anthropologist Dr. Phoebe Stubblefield. (laughs) I love that name. (laughs) Modern DNA techniques could be used to identify the remains if they are discovered by authorities or surrendered by those who stole them. But, like, you pass down bones. Like, this was from a murder scene. I'm going to pass this down to my granddaughter, you know. Hey, there you go, man. That's her inheritance. Yeah. Um, In 2016, the Grand Forks... County Sheriff's Department reached out to the public in an effort to find new leads as the old case records were either destroyed or lost. And I, like I say, it's a short one today, but I think I, I mostly feel sorry for him. I think he really was, I mean, I, obviously I feel bad for the people that he killed, but yeah, no, totally. I, I think he genuinely thought they were out to get him. Yeah, more than likely. So, and they when they were talking about how much he had laying around in his house because when they when the guy, the new guy who bought the property found um what was it? It was like $600 or something like that. It was it was some it was I think it was $6,000 which equates to like $150,000 in today's money so right <clears throat> i could also see how you would be worried that people were going to rob you I, maybe you could put the money in the thing that you dug out instead of killing people i don't know but well, i'm thinking from a from a psychology level that um you know if he's if he's killing people it could have been one thing where somebody tried to rob him yeah. and then he killed him and buried him well being schizophrenic um maybe that person that he killed Kind of came back, uh, hey, you killed me. You should feel bad about this, blah, blah, blah. I, yeah. Now it's just, it's a, it's a repeat. Every time he gets a new victim, mm-hmm. it's a repeat in his head. I could definitely see that. So like I say, today was short. That's all I've got. Sweet. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out the website at www.TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Get the full story without any of my bullshit connected to it. This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved, and we will see you guys on Freaky Ass Friday. (laughs) Bye. Bye.